What's up, guys? How are we doing today? Go Bearcats. <laughs> Go Bearcats. Yeah, they had a good win yesterday. Awesome. It's good to see you guys. It's been a while since I've uh, gotten to be up here and preach, so it's, it's always good to be back. And um, I love spending my Sunday mornings with you guys, getting to, uh, to just bring the word and hopefully grow together in, in Christ. How are you guys feeling today? Is, is anyone in here tired? Feeling a little bit worn down? Yes? Okay, that's, that's a uh, vibe that I've been getting a lot from people. I think this is a time of year where, I, I don't know if it's just like this perfect storm of events that kind of wear on you to the point where everyone is just kind of trying to get through the semester um, without dying. And <laughs> uh, I don't know, you've got all those assignments that, that you've been letting build up that you haven't worried about, and uh, you've got exams that you're studying for, the weather's starting to get colder, uh, your roommate, you liked them at the beginning of the year, but now they're getting on your nerves. You know, all, all of that kind of stuff is, uh, is coming together now. And so I know that that can make uh, really excelling in anything difficult uh, when you just feel tired. So my hope this morning is um, that I can help infuse a little bit more life and, and vision into uh, your life this week. And uh, I think we're at a perfect spot, and as we've been going through the letter to the Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church uh, that was in a Greek city called Corinth. You know, we've been going through this all semester, and I, I love the timing of, of where we've come to this morning, because I think Paul is kind of going to give us a, a little pep talk here, almost like a coach firing his team up at halftime uh, to, to go out and finish the game strong, like the Bearcats did yesterday. Good job. Um, so, yeah, we, as you know, we've been going through 1 Corinthians. We've called this series Messy Church. And the reason is because this church in Corinth that the letter was written to was a mess. Uh, and you've seen that as, as we've gone through some of this. They had all sorts of struggles with uh, sexual immorality. That was a huge problem that they were facing. Uh, they had lots of questions, too. They just were kind of trying to figure out how to follow Jesus faithfully. You know, they were wondering, are we even allowed to be married? Like, what, what does that look like if we do get married? Uh, then last week, Rob talked about uh, meat sacrifice to idols, which you would think, that's weird. Why do I care about meat sacrifice to idols? Um, but seriously, they had questions about idolatry. But the bigger principle that came through there was that Paul was trying to help them understand that they needed to be willing to sacrifice some of their own personal comfort for the sake of others. Okay, that would really be one of the big themes that I think that we could take away uh, from what we saw last week is this big principle that when you become a Christian, like your life is not your own anymore. Okay, when you, outside of Christ, it's very typical for us to live as king of our own lives. Uh, what, my desires are the most important thing. I'm really just considering the things that I want to get done in life. And uh, when you become a Christian, that flips. You know, your life is no longer your own, but you start to live for Jesus. And so he starts to elevate the value of other people in your life. And so now you, you go from a standpoint of only seeking your own good, but being willing to say, you know what, even if this is what's most comfortable and most desirable for me, I'm going to be willing to lay down some of those rights that I have, some of the, the comforts that I would enjoy for the good of others. And the Apostle Paul um, was just a beast at loving others. He was passionate about it. Uh, you could see this in his life. And if you were in life group, we, we looked into even more of how he had made these personal sacrifices so that other people could know Jesus. He was passionate about loving other people. And that's great because so was Jesus. Um, if you ever read the Gospels, you see just how much Jesus loves people. And uh, have any of you guys in here ever read the Old Testament before? Who, who here has read the entire Old Testament? Okay, a few of you. Good. And uh, if you haven't, I will tell you, it is really good. It's really beautiful. It's awesome. Uh, you're going to get to know God more as you do that. Uh, but it's also really long. It makes up about three quarters of your Bible. And uh, most people have a hard time getting through it. It's full of a lot of stuff that seems uh, difficult for us even to understand in our culture today. And uh, I don't have time to, to preach a sermon about how we should view the Old Testament. But I do want to let you know there's a lot of laws that are in there. As a matter of fact, somebody counted them up. I haven't done it myself, but I've been told that there's 613 different laws that are given in the Old Testament about how Israel was supposed to faithfully follow God. And uh, there was one time that Jesus was asked uh, what the most important one out of all of those 613 laws is. Now, I, I don't know about you, I, I would have a hard time with that. Like, I have a hard time picking what cheesecake I want to order at the Cheesecake Factory. Like, <laughs> and, and 
I don't know if they're up to 613 flavors yet, but they're getting close. I'll just say that. They have a spiral-bound menu. Um, so <laughs> the, the fact is, I, I have a hard time with things like that, but Jesus, being who he is, and he's being way smarter than I am, uh, didn't have any trouble with this question. When he was asked what the most important commandment was, he responded with no problem, and he even went above and beyond, gave the second most important, and told you how I'm going to summarize every law in the Old Testament in just a few sentences. And so this is what we see here. This comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. It says, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. All right, he's already answered their question. But now, extra credit. And this second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. It's a mic drop, right? It's, it's, he's, he's, he's done it. He's picked out, hey, you, you want to know uh, what God's getting at in all of these laws? The, all the law, all the prophets, everything that it's hanging on? I'll tell you. Love God with absolutely everything that you are, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Oh yeah, and then love your neighbors, you love yourself. If you do those two things, then you're going to do a great job with following everything else that he's told you. And when you go through the book of 1 Corinthians, really, you can see it all relating back to these two things. You should be able to look at your life and the, the way that you're living, the things you're doing, and I hope that you can start relating it all back to this idea, loving God, loving people, loving God, loving people. This is what he's called us to do in our lives. And so last week, as we talked about this idea of sacrificing uh, the, the meat sacrificed to idols and kind of sacrificing our own rights for the good of the conscience of our brothers and, and basically saying, I'm willing to make myself uncomfortable so that others can know Jesus and follow him more faithfully, we see this idea of loving our neighbor like we love ourselves. And of course, we love God in that process. Well, today, we're going to focus on that, that greatest commandment, loving God with absolutely everything. All right? He didn't say, love the Lord your God with most of your heart, most of your mind, most of your soul. He said he, he wants every last bit of it. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today, starting in verse 24. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open it up to that. Um, but before I dive into our main text, I actually just want to pray together. God, uh, you are worthy of all of our praise. We thank you that we had the opportunity to come together this morning, that we've already been able to lift up our voices and make music uh, that's glorifying to you. God, we thank you that uh, in that process, you stir up our heart and you stir up our soul, God, and, and, and we feel the love that you have for us and, and uh, we communicate the love that we feel for you, God. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray for uh, our minds now, God, as you want us to, to love you with all of our mind, that, that you would work in our minds um, as, as we go into this time of teaching. Father, I pray that, that you would open up our brains, uh, that you would also open up our hearts to receive your word, Lord. I pray that you would mold us and shape us. Speak to us this morning, Father. I pray that uh, we would leave this room as changed people. God, we, we want to be people that love you with everything that we are. And so, God, we ask that you'd be with us in this place this morning. We invite you to come in and disturb us in any way that you need to. We pray that you would remove any distractions that are here. We love you, God, and we give you our attention. And we pray this prayer in your son's awesome name. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read uh, verse 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified." Okay, so what we've read here, we're going to read more later, but this is where I want to stop for now, is that Paul speaks of running a race. He's, he's giving us this beautiful analogy uh, about the idea of following Jesus, and he's comparing it to running a race. And in that, I really see three things about how we're supposed to run after Jesus. We're supposed to run hard, we're supposed to run with purpose, and we're supposed to run 
with endurance. So we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at those three aspects of how we're supposed to run after Jesus. So first, let's look at this idea of running hard. Um, Jesus is not looking for half-hearted followers, okay? As I already stated before, when he talked about the greatest commandment, it's really, it's, it almost seems redundant, right? Like he could have said, just love God with everything, but he wanted to make sure we really get the point. Every single bit of your being, that's what I'm after, right? If you read the Gospels, um, Jesus, the, the calling that he has for, for people to come follow him is really, really high. Like, people leave everything that they have and follow him. And he even said in Luke 14, like, anyone who doesn't give up all their possessions can't be my disciple. Okay? Now, and I don't think that means that you have to literally sell every possession. Like, they didn't just walk around naked. They had clothes and stuff. Um, but there's this idea that complete ownership of your life, your possessions, everything that you are has to be surrendered over to Jesus. That's the only way to follow him. And, and so there's really this idea of running hard, running like you're trying to win a race. Have any of you guys in here uh, ever run a marathon before? Who's run a marathon? Okay, a couple crazy people in here have run a marathon. I respect you guys. It's good. I've never come anywhere close to that. Who in here has run a 5K? Okay, most of us have run a 5K. Now, uh, who in here, raise your hand if you've ever won a 5K. Okay, we got a couple, a couple winners. Okay, now, for the rest of us normal people... Um, we, we've never even dreamed of winning a 5K, right? Like, like, who in here, when you entered the 5K, had any intention of winning that race? Okay, the, the people that actually won, right? Okay. <laughs> for, for the rest of us, that, that was never even on our radar. You know, uh, we just had that run here at UC a couple weeks ago, or however many Ks that was. I think there were different amounts. And... Um, you know, there's, there's all these people that come out to run these races, and the vast majority of them have no intention of winning the race. It's not even their goal. Uh, they're just running to participate, and that's perfectly fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with running one of those races to participate, um, but that's not the way that we're supposed to run after Jesus. And, and my fear is that a lot of us run after Jesus the way that I run a 5K, where it's like, I'm just happy to participate. You know, I just, I just want to be along for the ride. And, and Paul's saying, man, that's, that's not the way. I want you to run like that one guy that's going to be able to, to win the prize, right? And this, this isn't designed to inspire like a bunch of competition among Christians, so you're always comparing yourself and saying, I'm better than this guy. No, it's, it's to communicate the effort with which you run. When I go out and run a 5K, I'm just trying to finish. I was like, man, I want to make sure that I don't have to walk for any of this. I'm not, I'm not giving it every ounce of energy that I have. I'm not training all the time. I'm not thinking about uh, the way that I eat and the way that I sleep and all these other things that relate to how well I'm going to perform. I'm just out there kind of doing it. And, and I really, I think it's sad to say that, that most of us probably follow Jesus that way. Just kind of happy to be along for the ride, happy to be at a, a good enough level, right? As long as I kind of have faith to where like, hey, I'm going to get into heaven, I'm cool. Um, that's not what Jesus is looking for. And I think that this kind of mentality can invade lots of areas in our life, right? We just want to like do just good enough to pass the class, okay? I don't have to get an A in there or whatever. Just, just let me pass the class or like at your job. Yeah, I want to do good enough to like not get fired or at least not get like dirty stares from my boss, but I don't really care about like excelling in my work. Um, you know, I, I want to give to the poor enough so that like I don't feel guilty and I can like feel like I'm a good person, but I don't really like want to actually make a difference um, in, in the way that I help people. And we could go on and on with, with down, the, down the line with this. But we, we've done this, I think, with Christianity where we've kind of reduced the, the very high call of Jesus to the call of, well, as long as I'm around for the ride, it's good. And I'll take my participant ribbon and be happy. And yeah, here's, here's the thing. I want you to realize this. We, we are saved by faith in Jesus. Like Jesus has done the work for us. He's, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's run this race for us. That, that's, it's, it's amazing and awesome and good. The cool thing is, is that as we come into true faith with him, that, that faith cannot help but manifest itself in our lives. Okay, your life is going to have to start showing fruit. Uh, as a matter of fact, in John 15, Jesus promises that the Father will prune all the branches that stay in him so that they bear more fruit. If you're running with Jesus, he's going to constantly be spurring you on to run harder and run closer with him. And so I have to ask, how are you running? 
Are you running in your faith just, just to be in the race, or are you running so that you would get the prize? And so how can we run like we're trying to get the prize? You know, right after telling us <clears throat> that we should run like we're trying to win, Paul starts talking about self-control. And we all know this, like world-class athletes are extremely disciplined people. Uh, every time the Olympics come around, you always see these stories on them, or, you know, you hear about Tom Brady and his TB12 method and how he's able to stay so good into his 40s and all these various things. Um, but, but you realize that the reason these people have the success that they have, they don't just kind of roll out of bed and go on natural talent, not the people that are excelling at the highest level. For them, winning is, is a lifestyle. It's not just something that they do every time the game comes around. It affects every aspect of their life. They eat right. They get enough sleep. I, I read an article on a by ESPN that, that talked about how much LeBron James sleep, slept. I'll bet you would never guess how much this dude sleeps. He sleeps 12 hours a night. Yeah, right? 12 hours a night. So now you know why LeBron is, never gets hurt and how he's able to play so many minutes. Because the dude takes care of his body. He understands that everything, like if he wants to compete at the absolute highest level, then everything about his life, the way he eats, the way he sleeps, everything is going to have to relate to helping him be the best basketball player on earth. And he is. Um, great athletes stay away from anything that might sabotage their ability to perform well. And, uh, man, we, we need to be people that have that same kind of self-control in, in the way that we pursue Jesus. Because here, here's the thing, like they're running after this, this imperishable wreath Paul talks about, right? Like these dudes exert so much self-control and so much discipline after something that's not even going to last. How much better is the prize that we run for? And so I want to ask you, how are you doing with self-control in your life? What's out of control in your life that's affecting the way that you're able to run after Jesus? I think that we could go down a huge list, but I, I want to... Um, just point out a couple ones I think that might affect a lot of us in this room. One I want to ask is, how, how are you managing your time? How, how much self-control do you have in the way that you use your time? Uh, I know for me that this is actually one that I have a lot of trouble with. Uh, I, I have a hard time maximizing all of the hours in the day that God gives me. Um, and, and usually it comes down to the fact that like, I just don't like going to bed. I don't like to get to bed early enough. And if I don't get to bed early enough, I don't get up early enough. And if I don't get up early enough, I don't have quiet time with the Lord in the morning. And if I don't have quiet time with the Lord in the morning, it affects everything else about how I relate to him and how I relate to other people throughout the day. And so my lack of self-control and something that seems like a kind of non-spiritual physical thing ends up actually having a great impact on my spiritual life. You know, or how about your entertainment habits? Um, the, the way that you choose to entertain yourself is going to affect your relationship with God, right? Like if you choose to fill your mind with filthy music, movies, TV, all sorts of sleaze and, and garbage and stuff in that area, um, you can't help but think that that's not going to impact your life, right? That's, that's like a world-class athlete eating Twinkies and Ho-Hos all the time. Like it, it's just, it's not doing anything good for helping them to, to compete at the level they want to. Or maybe your entertainment choices are fine, but you just indulge in too much of it. That would be like if someone eating healthy, but just eating way too much food. They're still going to end up putting on more weight than what they want to. And so how about your entertainment habits? Are you exercising self-control in what you choose to consume? And then finally, also just like, how about your schoolwork? Um, do you do this? Do you do your schoolwork in a way that contributes to you running after Jesus well? I think that it's important for us to find a good balance here. Like, first, are you being a good steward of the opportunity that God's given you? Like, I know a lot of you guys are, have chosen to go into a lot of debt to be able to get the degrees that you're pursuing. Um, are you stewarding that choice well? Are you stewarding the opportunity that's been given to you if you're here on scholarship or something like that? You guys are among a very privileged portion of the world that has the opportunity uh, to get educated in the way that you do. Are you taking advantage of that? so that you can actually be an influencer in your field, that you can excel in your field. On the other hand, I, I think that there's, you can swing too far to where you let your schoolwork completely dominate your life to the point that, really, you're not even running hard after Jesus anymore. You're just running hard after getting that A or after getting that job. And, and when you sit back in life, that's actually what you're truly most concerned about. I don't think that that's a good stewarding of the opportunity either. 
Um, there's, there's a matter of balance that's important there and doing the best we can with the opportunity that God's given us, but also realizing that we're not going to be perfect in it and we have to make time for other things in our lives too. So those are just some areas of self-control that I think we need to examine in our lives. I'm sure that you could think of many others. But the, the point I'm getting at is if you want to be a person that runs hard after Jesus, you're going to have to develop in self-control. And, and the cool thing is like God wants to help you with that. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things that's listed, the last thing that's listed, is self-control. So as you seek God more, he's going to start building that more in you. It's, it's something that the Spirit naturally produces. Now, not only do we want to be people that run hard, but we want to be people that run with purpose, right? If we look at 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 26, just looking back at that, it says, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Okay? Um, if you want to be a person that runs hard after pretty much anything, then you know that you're going to have to be a person that knows why you're running. Okay? Athletes don't get up out of bed and just accidentally get stronger and faster. It's not how it happens. They, they realize that they're going to put that effort in in training because they have a goal that's in mind. And so this idea of wreaths, I mean, uh, if you're wondering why it's talking about wreaths, back in, those, back in the time this was written, uh, runners uh, that won the race would get like one of those little crowns that's made out of plants. That's what he's talking about with that wreath. It's, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to fade away. It's, it's perishable, okay? We've, we've moved on to having trophies and championship rings and stuff now, which last a little bit longer, but ultimately they're still going to pass away. Um, these things are of no eternal value. And he's saying it's not, it's not bad to run after them, but man, they're just not lasting. There's much better prizes for us to run for out there. And so we should be people that, that have an aim to know, yeah, I'm running after things that are of eternal value, to know God more and to help others know him, because that's going to last for eternity, right? Like my relationship with God gets to start now and continue into eternity, if I get to introduce someone else to Jesus, that's a relationship that's going to last for eternity. These are the, these are the kind of rewards that, that are imperishable. They're not like that wreath made of plants that's going to just fade and, and decay and, and probably end up in the fire or something. Um, so when you look at your life, what's your aim? Like, what are you running for? What are you living for? What's the purpose of life, right? That's one of the, the big questions. I have, that, I, I have these big four questions that I talk about with people a lot, and this is one of them. What, what's the purpose of life? How does your life answer the question about what you're running for? If someone was to observe you for a couple weeks and just follow you around all the time like your little brother or something, um, and, and they, they looked at you and they observed you like, what, what would they say that you care about? Like if somebody followed you around for a month, saw everything you do, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, things you're thinking about, things you're talking about, what would they identify as what you care about most? Is there any sort of clear purpose that they would be able to see? For Paul, the answer was obvious. It was Jesus, right? Like you couldn't help but look at this guy's life and say, yeah, I can tell what he's running towards. Because everything in his life points back to this, that he wants to know Jesus and help others to know him all related back to loving God and loving others. And so what he did most was spread the gospel to those who haven't heard. And you know, you can ask this question about the aim of your life on an individual level, and I think that's important, and that's something I encourage you to do. Um, but I also think it's important for us to ask this on a church level. You know, even here as H2O, why, why do we exist? Why is this church here on campus? What's the purpose of all of us being here this morning? What's the aim that we have. As a group, collectively, what are we running together towards? You know, my desire for our church is that we would be a passionate community of Christ followers who walk closely with God and that we change this campus because of it. I remember back uh, when we first planted this church and I would walk onto the campus um, and I just felt kind of dark. Like I, I remember um, just kind of my introduction to this place, and, and there wasn't anything in particular that made this happen. I just was acutely aware of the lostness, uh, of the fact that, man, there's, there's a lot of sheep here without a shepherd. Like, there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. There's a lot of people uh, that are stumbling around in the dark. 
that don't know what's true, that don't know uh, what life's about, and that don't know that God loves them and wants a relationship with them. And so I started dreaming about, like, man, what would it look like for a church to be here that is able to actually impact this campus to the point where the culture of this campus changes? Like, this, this secular, like, government-run school is something that would change, that people would walk onto the campus and even though it's not a Christian campus or anything like that, like they couldn't help but be here very long until they had an encounter with God because somebody who really loves Jesus shared, them, shared that with them. And the, the way that they pursue friendship with them and the way that they speak and the way they live, that, that people would be surprised honestly about what they find here. And, and that's, that's really been my hope and my dream is that um, UC will transform into that kind of place. And I've, I believe God's already been doing that. Like, I see that happening. I see more and more people that are encountering him through his, through his body. But there's still a lot more work to do. And so with, with H2O, <clears throat> in order to kind of help this happen, we, we have this mission statement. We don't really talk about it explicitly that much. Um, but it comes off of these three E's that, that we think are going to be significant in helping accomplish that purpose. Uh, and the first one is to encounter God. Everything starts here with encountering God. Like every bit of fruit that we bear has to come out of being in him. Um, every change that we want to act, enact has to come out of him being the one that does it. And so the, the very first thing is encounter God. Uh, John, uh, Jesus said this in John 15 verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. <clears throat> I am the vine you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. <clears throat> so first and foremost as a church, we want to be a people that encounter God, that encounter him on a consistent basis. People that stay in him. That's what that word abide means. We're people that are, that are constantly near him. And we know that as we're near him, he'll start to produce fruit in our lives. And so as a church, one of the things that we want to do is help create more and more opportunities for people to encounter God. So one of those opportunities is right now, that, that you'd have the opportunity to come and worship together with other people that love the Lord, that you get to hear his word and you would encounter him through that. <clears throat> but also, we hope that this is a daily type thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. That there's always uh, some opportunity that you're having to be able to grow closer to the Lord. Some opportunity that you're having to be pointed near him. When we share stories, share testimonies of what the Lord's done, I don't know about you, but I encounter God through that because I see him at work in the lives of other people. And so that's the first thing we need to do is be people that are close to the Lord. The second thing is we want to equip the church. We read this in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. <clears throat> and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And so Paul's helping us see in this letter to the Ephesians that, that God has given different people different giftings, but they relate back to this idea of equipping the saints. That's you guys. We talked about this at the uh, beginning of 1 Corinthians. Equipping the saints for the work of service. So you can build up the body of Christ. So one of the other purposes that we have as H2O is to equip you guys, to teach you how you can grow in your faith, uh, to, to learn how to read your Bible better and to understand the word of God, to learn how to be able to share your faith or how to be able to handle conflict with a friendship that's not working out very well at the moment. And finally, we want to be people that engage the world. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gave us this great commission to go and make disciples. And so as we're people that are encountering God, we're equipping up others in the church and helping them grow in their faith, the, the last thing that we want to do also is go out and reach the world, engage in its needs. We live in a world that has tons and tons of needs, and we know that, that the biggest needs are spiritual. And so those are the main ones that we focus on here. The main thing we focus on is making disciples, introducing them to Jesus, and teaching them to follow him. And the cool thing is that as you do that, that starts to transform the world in every other regard. Because when God gets a hold of a person's life, I don't care what social issue it is that you're interested in, that's going to start to get better. Like as a person learns to love God and love other people. 
It, it's the, the most comprehensive transformation that can happen. And it's the greatest need that a person has. And so we want to focus on, on going forth and making disciples, engaging in the world around us. And so that's our aim at H2OUC. Um, we hope that you guys buy into this and that you'll join along with us and that we can run together as people that are united in that purpose, people that are running with an aim. Now, I want to turn our attention back to our main text and uh, we're going to finish chapter 9, and then we're going to get into chapter 10 here. And uh, we're going to kind of close up this analogy about running, and then Paul's going to get into a little history lesson, which is great, because he combines two of my favorite things, sports and history. Um, but yeah, so let's go to 927, and then we're going to read through chapter 10, verse 13. After talking about how he needs to run hard, to run with purpose, he says this in verse 27. But I discipline my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness." Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor let us grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. All right, so this... Uh, teaches on that kind of final main point about running that I want to hit on, which is the idea that we need to be people that run with endurance. We've seen we need to run hard. We've seen we need to run with purpose. And now we see that we need to run with endurance. Most of what we read was a history lesson. And so those of you that raised your hand about reading the whole Old Testament, maybe you were aware of some of the things that he was referring in there. But if you haven't, I want to just bring you up to speed a little bit on the story um, that he's referring to. When Paul talks about these, the fathers that all you know, passed through the same cloud and passed through the sea and all of this, he's referring back to uh, the Exodus. Okay? He's referring to the, the fact that there was this special family that God had made a covenant with. This family grew into uh, the people group that we know as Israel. And this group called Israel fell into slavery in Egypt uh, for a very long time. And eventually God decided he was going to remember the covenant that he had made with this family. It was time for him to put that into action because he had promised that he was going to take them to this land. Uh, it was a good land that he was going to multiply them. And so he brings them out of slavery. And so if you've heard of the 10 plagues or anything like that, God starts sending these plagues upon Egypt, finally to get the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to get to a spot where he was ready to finally let these Israelite people go because their God was freaking them out and he kept on doing this terrible, th this terrible stuff to Egypt. So Israel goes out, and um, as soon as they're getting out into the wilderness a little bit, uh, Pharaoh changes his mind. He was a very hard-hearted person. He says, no, I, I can't lose my slaves. He sends the army to go back and get them. And as the army goes out to get them, uh, the Israelites happen to be backed up against a wall because they've run into a sea. And so there's, here it is, the most powerful army in the world is bearing down on them, and they're standing there in the desert, see behind them, and they have nowhere to go. They're completely trapped. And it's at this point that God parts that sea. He splits the waters in two, and the people of Israel walk right through it. As the Egyptian army pursues them, God closes the waters back over them and drowns the Egyptian army. And that's actually that song we opened up with, Our God is a Mighty Warrior. Um, that's actually the song that they sang right after that event happened knowing that God had fought for his people. What an amazing thing that would have been to be a part of, right? It's incredible. And, and so here's the thing. The story doesn't end there. Like, we're just at the beginning. 
So now, now they're across the sea. They're standing out in the wilderness. Well, guess what? I don't know if any of you have ever been to a desert before, uh, but there's not much that grows there. So you're this whole people group that's out in the desert. What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? You're just going to die of thirst or die of starvation out there. And so what does God do? He provides miraculously for his people while they're there in this time. And this is why he starts talking about eating the same spiritual food and drinking the same spiritual drink. God miraculously provided these things. He literally rained down bread from heaven that was called manna. It would just appear in the morning and they could go out and gather it. And, and there would be times where the people were thirsty and he would make water flow from a rock. And so with all of this, the, the people of Israel were living in such a way that God was interacting with them in a mighty way, daily sustaining them. And the, just there is kind of a, a strange verse in there that I, I don't have too much time to talk about but want to draw attention to, is that he concludes that they were all drinking from this spiritual rock, which was Christ. And, and the only thing I can make of that statement is there's difference of opinion about this exactly on what it means. Um, but I think that the point that Paul is trying to get at is that it was God, uh, and since God includes the Son, right, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, that was the one that was taking care of Israel the whole time that they were in the desert. And so, so God's the one that's, that's providing for them here. You would think that if you had experienced this, that you would like, be faithful to the Lord, right? Like, could you imagine disobeying God after he had split a sea to save your life and provided you bread and water and all this stuff in the desert? You would think these people must have been the holiest people on earth. But the reality is that they really weren't. Despite all of what God had done for them, they still really weren't people that were very faithful. They were still people of very weak faith. When God was ready to bring them into the promised land, they were too afraid to go and do it. And so as it said, most of them were laid low in the wilderness. That means most of those people that got to be a part of that Red Sea crossing, they all died in the wilderness. God made them wait 40 years before they were able to enter into the promised land until that generation that was unbelieving died out. And so what I want you to see from this is Paul saying, man, Take this as an example. Know, know the mistakes that they made so that you won't make the same ones. And so I will say here, a good start does not guarantee a good finish. You know, Israel started well. Like They, they were faithful enough to leave Egypt. They, they left the slavery. As a matter of fact, there's a passage, I think it's in Exodus 13, that talks about how uh, Israel was marching out boldly. And of course, they, they had plenty of hiccups along the way, and, and they displayed a lack of faith, much time in the desert. But they started well, but they didn't finish well. And so with them, most, most of them were laid low in the desert. Holiness is not something that is just automatically going to come by proximity. It's not going to come in your life just because you hang out with other Christians. That can be helpful, but that's not going to, like, you still have to make a choice to live holy. You know, Israel, it's like they're not going to uh, just automatically follow God faithfully just because he's doing all of these wonderful things in their life. They still had to make a choice to have faith and to obey him. And they didn't do it. And so Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. He's trying to help warn them. Man, don't, don't think that you can just run your life on autopilot. Just as that guy that's along for a race, participating, not really running hard, not really watching your life, you need to make sure that you keep close watch over your life. That you know how you're running, why you're running, where you're running. Paul himself even said that he needed to be aware of this fact. In verse 27, he said, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He's saying, even me, this, this guy that's, that's going around preaching all the gospel to all these other people, I have to remember to still preach the gospel to myself. Because the last thing I want to do is live this life where all I do is I go and I'm ministering to all these other people and investing in all these other people, and at the end of the day, I forget to actually invest in my own relationship with God. And I think that this is a pitfall that all of us need to watch out for. We have to keep careful watch over our own lives as we go about the process of ministering to others. We need to be people that are serious about pursuing holiness. People that are serious about running closely with God. About setting our eyes on him. And here's the Not only has God allowed us to run with him, right? That he's forgiven us of sin. He's brought us into relationship with him if you're a Christian. 
But the cool thing is that, that not only has he forgiven your sin, but he's delivered you from slavery to it. That you don't have to be people that continue to live in sin. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I love it and hate it at the same time, but mainly love it. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Man, this, here's why I love that. There's, there's no temptation that is ever going to come my way that I don't have the opportunity to say no to. Right? God is always going to provide a way out. Now, yeah, I still live in this body of flesh. That means I'm still going to experience temptation. But I don't have to yield to sin anymore. I've been delivered from that. We are not slaves to sin. And, and it bothers me. I, I hear Christians sometimes that, that just give into this defeatist mentality as though we have to continually live in sin. And we don't. Yeah, we're still subject to sin. We're still subject to temptation. And do most of us fall on a consistent basis? Yes, I include myself amongst that number. I already talked to you how much I struggle with, with time management. I, I, I struggle with pride. I struggle with lust. There's all sorts of things. But here's, here's the reason why I said I hate this verse. Because that means that when I do those things, like, that's me choosing to do that. Like, God's given me the opportunity to say no. And so it's a very empowering thing. And that I have the opportunity to say, no, I'm not going to do this. The thing that's difficult about it is like when I do, it's like, man, it's okay. This is something that I chose to do. And so, man, we need to be people that, that are serious about living in the freedom that we have. You know, you're, you're, you're stuck in an addiction or something like that. I'm not trying to guilt trip you or make you feel awful about the fact that, that you can't seem to get out of this sin. What I'm actually trying to do is help you realize you have been delivered from this. Like, you don't have to keep submitting to it. And is there a, a, a difficult process that may be involved in trying to overcome an addiction? Are you going to need help and all this stuff? Yeah, that's part of why we run together. Like, don't be afraid to confess your sins to others. That's a, that's a very biblical thing. We need each other to help stay on track. But I at least want you to realize that there's hope. You're not fighting for a lost cause. You know, one of the, the things that, that we need to learn how to do if we want to be people that walk in holiness, that, that run faithfully, that learn to take that escape hatch, right? That, that's what he says here. Um, but with the temptation that God will provide the way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. And so I think that one of the things that we need to realize is uh, we need to understand when we're being tempted and, and we need to pray that God will show us where the escape route is. That we would learn to flee from situations that we know are not going to be good for us. The Bible talks about fleeing from sin a lot. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, the very next verse we would have read, says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. If we go to 1 Corinthians 6, 18, which we read earlier this year, flee immorality. Every sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. 2 Timothy 2.22, now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So even there, once again, we get this idea of fleeing and also pursue righteousness with people. That's the idea where I want you to say, what are you running for as an individual? And then who are you running with? What are we running for together as a, as a group? Because we're going to be much better if we run together. Now, I think that part of the reason we find ourselves falling into sin all the time is because we haven't learned to flee from sin in the way that Paul talks about. I know that's true in my own life. Oftentimes I'll sense the danger of a situation. I'll sense the fact that I need to flee. And I simply choose not to. And I choose to walk into what, what I know is going to be wrong or what's going to send me down a bad path. Now, the next time that you are tempted, just pray. Pray that the Lord will show you the escape route and that you'll learn to flee there. And if you don't do well, if, if you choose not to take it, then okay, like, confess your sin, get back up and learn to flee the next time. Because there's hope in you being able to live in righteousness. Now, there's something else here that I think is really encouraging. Um, the Christian life is not just about fleeing from sin. That there is an aspect of, yeah, we want to run from sin, but it's also running to someone. We're not just running away from something, but we're running to someone. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, 
Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is how you run with endurance. You want to learn how to do this part? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's how you run with endurance. You do it by, by stripping off everything that's, that's weighing you down and fixing your eyes on your goal. And with that, that goal starts to, starts to help you push along, right? I know I, I haven't run a marathon, as I've already told you guys, but... Um, I can only imagine that as you see that finish line, like you see your goal there, you kind of just get that extra burst of energy. And, and the cool thing is we get to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But also, what did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18 to 20? When I read that at the end there, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's the cool thing. We get to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, but guess what? He's running with us too. So in that marathon, you only get to see that finish line at the very end. You've got to, you've got to vision it. You've got to keep it in your mind, but, but you don't actually get to see it. For us as Christians, we're running along, and guess what? That, that goal, our finish line, is running along with us. Like, isn't that a, a, a cool picture? It's running along with us there. And the reality is that, man, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one that, that gives us the escape route. He's our ultimate escape. Right? We read in 1 Corinthians 10 about how um, God will always provide a way out. Right? And I, I believe that there's a real practical, like, right now value to that of God is going to give you a way out. But here's the cool thing, too. He gave us the ultimate way out even to begin with by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Not only is he the one that will provide us a way to escape from sin, but he is our escape from sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about how he became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. And man, this is, this is the gospel. Like, the, the fact that why can we escape the consequences of sin? Why can we escape uh, the wages that we've earned? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He walked the earth, lived a perfect life, lived the life that we should have lived, but none of us have been able to. He was crucified, murdered on the cross, he did that not because he, he couldn't deliver himself from it, but because he chose to get, take the cross. He chose to take the shame, just as we read about in Hebrews 12. Why? Because he knew that on that cross, the wrath of God would be poured out <clears throat> and that his blood would cover our sins. So as, God, as Jesus is, is on the cross, he's taking the wrath of God that every one of us rightly deserves for our sin. And God is very serious about that. You know, what we read in, in the, the history lesson that Paul gave us that God laid low those people in the desert. And he, he listed the sins they were going through, and he went through example after example. I mean, God killed those people in the desert. He, he takes sin seriously, and he will punish sin. You can read Revelation. God hasn't changed. Jesus Christ is the same today and forever. And the fact of the matter is that, that there is still coming wrath for sin. But the, the cool thing is, man, God also loves us. And so rather than just leaving us to, to, to sit under the wrath that we deserve, the wages of sin, that's death that we deserve, that we've earned, he says, I'll take that upon myself. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die the death that you deserve. I'm going to bear the penalty of what God promised disobedience would be, which is death. And I'm going to raise three days later. And in doing that, when Jesus rose from the grave, what did he do? That was a declaration of victory, that Jesus had conquered sin. He had conquered death. And that in him we can have life. And so as a, I encourage you, if you are a person that puts your faith in him, that, that you follow him into death and you follow him into life. 
And so as you follow him into death, you, you follow him into death and in that you put to death the deeds of the body, the flesh, all these evil things, the sin that we've been talking about, stripping off. You lay that down. You lay down being king of your own life. You say, no, I'm not king anymore. I'm going to follow you. I die to my old self. You're king now. And here's the thing. We're raised to life with him. But we get to walk in the newness of life. This is that idea that we're no longer slaves to sin. We get to be people that run along with endurance with our God. And we get to, to run along with him all the way into eternity. And while we know that, yeah, we still struggle in the flesh, and we know that this flesh will die, uh, we're going to read here just in a few weeks when I close this, this sermon series out that what was uh, sown perishable, these bodies that are going to pass away, will be raised imperishable. An imperishable, undefiled body that we'll get to live with the Lord with for eternity. This is the gospel, friends, that Jesus took your sin, he took your punishment upon himself so that through faith in him, you can be united to him, forgiven of sin, and brought into relationship with God. And that's just the beginning. That's the beginning of a relationship that lasts from now into eternity. So if you haven't done that, then, then my encouragement to you this morning, I, my, I exhort you with the strongest words I could that, that you would take that offer. And if you don't know how to do that, then I'd be happy to talk to you after the service. I know there's people that will be praying in the back that you can speak with if you want to uh, talk about how to start running with Jesus. And maybe you're already Christian in here, and, and uh, it's just, man, I hope that I've been able to, to inspire you through the Word of God to, to run hard with everything that you are, to run with purpose, to have that, that aim, knowing that you're running towards Him, and to run with endurance, running with Him every day, keeping your eyes on Him. Let's pray. Um, God, we thank you that you're good and that um, we can trust you, that uh, you are the one that, that gives us everything. You're the one that gives eternal life. You're the reason that we can be forgiven of sin. You're the reason that we can have hope in the resurrection. You're the reason that uh, we have hope of being able to walk in holiness. God, I pray your strength upon us here in this room today. God, as we've confessed already this morning, many of us are weary. Many of us are tired, God. We need your strength. So God, revive us. I pray that even in this time of worship that we go into, that you'd speak to our hearts, our souls, our mind, God, everything that you call us to worship you and love you with, I pray that you'd minister to us in those areas. God, help us to be people that love you well and that love others well. Uh, we, we bring this, this uh, worship time before you as, as an offering of praise. And God, we ask that uh, as we go throughout our week, that you would constantly keep your word on our mind, that your spirit would minister to us, and that we'd be people that walk closely with you. We love you, God. And we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen.